Hey everyone, welcome back to the M&M Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. Along with me is my co-host, Chase McCallum. And today we got a couple signings to break down. And uh, weirdly enough, it's already starting to trickle into trade deadline time. So we're going to preview a couple, you know, there's an article we want to bring up. And then there's also just a couple other small things around the league happening that we want to talk about. So let's get into it. Let's get into the two signings that happened this past week. Uh, one came on Saturday night, and that is the, or Saturday maybe, uh, that's the Boston Bruins signing Pavel Zaka to a four-year, $4.75 million per season contract, $19 million in total value. Uh, Zaka's played all left wing, right wing, and center, according to Cap Friendly. 26 years old, he was acquired from the Devils in a one-for-one trade for, oh, I'm blanking on his name. Do you remember, Chase? Uh, I don't. Uh, I'm bringing it up right now. Eric Hall up uh, right. this summer. Um, Zach has been good for the, the, I mean, everyone on Boston has been good. This is way more money than I was expecting. I won't lie. Yeah, I feel like, it's like a, I guess it depends on your definition of good. Like he's pretty bad for, for a while. I'm sorry, this year is he's been good. Yeah. That's what I meant. Like he's on pace for 60 points. Yeah, but he's pretty decent on a shooting heater on a guy with oh, yeah. 500 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Like he hasn't been bad. He, there's no way he's been below average, but he's just been like average-ish, which, you know, it's it's way better than he looked early in his career. So absolutely great for him. Yeah, it's one of those contracts where, like, I don't really think it's going to matter for Boston, but probably not. It just seems on that, like, it's just super unnecessary, is kind of the word I keep coming back to. Yeah, like, you're giving like an average player just under $5 million through his prime. Like, it's hard to really have a problem with that. But also, everything on earth has gone right for the Bruins, and I don't believe Pavel Zaka is a driver of this. So, like, Let's say that falls off a little bit in two years. Suddenly you're like, hmm, this sucks. Or yeah, not even not a, two years, literally next year. When next year, yeah. Starts. It's not a contract that's going to hurt, but like, here's his career point totals. 24 and 70 games, 25 and 69 games, 25 and 61 games, 32 and 65 games, 35 and 50 games, 36 and 70 games, and then 28 and 43 this year. He's been just a career 35-point player, basically, 20, yeah, like high 20s to high 30-point player. Like, I don't know, $5 million, it just seems a little unnecessary. Yeah, and like, it's still not bad necessarily, but it seems like the payoffs here, both of these contracts that I think we're going to talk about in depth today, are asymmetric, but this one's asymmetric in a bad way. We're like, the most realistic scenario is that, yeah, you shrug your shoulders and you're like, this is a perfectly fair contract quite which you should be happy with whatever but it seems like there's no way in which you're looking back and saying this is a steal but there are ways in which you are looking back and going yeah this kind of sucks yeah i agree um amazingly evolving hockey had his projected cap hit at four times 4.659 um so good for them yeah literally so 50k off it's impressive 100k off, I guess. Yeah, just uh, just under 91k off, which is uh, absolutely insane. Now that was before this season as well, so maybe you could even argue that his value would be up to like five this year. I don't know. It's yeah, it's not a bad contract by any means. It's just as you said, like I feel very confident that in a team that has Taylor Hall driving a third line, Pavel Zaka is probably not doing too much of the driving on that team. Yeah, and that's exactly it, right? So like. Suddenly everybody moves up the lineup when Bergeron and company move on. He now, seems like the kind of guy that you're going to look and be like, oh, he was definitely aided by the godly team around him. Yeah. And, I, you know, this contract doesn't look as bad when you look at the books and realize Hall and Marshawn make a combined $12 million for the next two years yet. Like, True. You can get away with a lot then. Yeah, exactly. Now, Pasternak's going to come at a big raise, but I, again, who knows if Bergeron's even playing after this year. So, um, yeah, yeah. I just kind of keep circling back to it probably won't matter in the long term because, you know, eventually it feels like this team has to fall off the cliff. But also, I say that, and then I go, 
They haven't. So I don't like it's one of the things that you almost have to see it to believe it. But I, I think he, I will absolutely believe it when Bergeron retires. That's when they will, even if they're, I, I think people will still overstate it when Bergeron retires that they'll be like, oh, like they're going to be a lottery team now. They won't be that, that bad, but they obviously won't be the perennial contenders that they have been for the better part of a decade and a half now. Yeah. Like I could imagine them, you know, quote unquote, falling off to a, like a league average team at that point. Yeah, to like where everything's going wrong and they're the Panthers this year and everything's going right and they're third in the division or in a wild card spot in that kind of fight. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately, league average team-ish. They're probably screwed in the Eastern Conference playoff picture or whatever, but yeah, like things will be all, all right, I would think. Yeah. Things will be the Pavel Zaka contract. <laughs> exactly. Um, all right, then the other one is Matthew Boldy signs with the Minnesota Wild seven million dollars over uh for seven years, so 49 um million total. Sorry, uh, he is I like I like this deal. He's he's 21, 22 when it kicks in, so signs him for his complete prime. Uh, walks him just past you a couple years in the uh unrestricted free agency, but right around when that time you're probably going to want to evaluate whether you want to keep him, anyways. Um, I think. Right now, this is fair value. I, I don't see this contract being like a massive, massive steal in the future, but also I feel like the floor on this one's a lot higher too. I don't see as many ways where this one's like, ooh, that's not a great contract, you know? Yeah, even though it's worth more money because Boldy's just been so much better, so much younger. Yeah, exactly. Like, even if he's just a fine second liner, that's more, seven million is more than okay to pay for that. Yeah, with the rising cap and stuff, you'd be like, oh, it's not the end of the world. Not ideal, but... And Boldy still does have upside. Yeah, like he might be more in a second liner. I'm just saying, like, even if he stuck at, like, exactly what he's shown right now, doesn't peak to anything past the second liner, this contract's still not negative value. Exactly. Whereas, like, Zach has been... Again, I don't want to say bad, because, like, there's tons of utility in a league average player, but when you're still league average pretty clearly by like 25 or whatever the upside gets capped but if you're yeah, boldy, exactly. like boldy looked like he had a legitimate shot of being a superstar last year it's cooled off uh this year but i mean there's still a chance you're looking at this and being like oh he's a 12 million dollar player now i don't know if it's a great chance or whatever but it's definitely there yeah or even just like you come in looking to it um and say oh like this is the 28th best center in the league like that again seven mils good value for that yeah yeah exactly if you get a first line player going forward at a seven million dollar contract you're hyped and i i would think boldy's more likely to be a first line player than not Mm -hmm. i i would agree um this is one heading into the year evolving hockey had his predicted term at two years 3.465 million dollar cap hit uh if you went up to seven years which was uh, 9% chance of likeliness versus 36% at two years, his cap hit went up to $6 million. So um, they're saying heading into the year, this pro- this would have been a one mil overpay on their thing. But um, I don't I, I think it's a fine bet from Minnesota, especially because, you know, how many times have we talked about Minnesota has to hit on value? So, like, if you're going to take a Absolutely. swing, take a swing on a guy like Boldy like this, right? Like 100%. And, like, yeah, we've seen upside from before. Our our model had him as like the fifth best prospect in his draft class. I don't think he's done anything to really move us away from that. Like, seems See, like as good of a bet as you could make. Yeah, I haven't looked at the draft class in a little while, but that seems like a fine spot to have him. Just assume, just what we know about every draft class that you know, other than like the few very stacked ones, obviously. But yeah, even this year, like his results have cooled off, quote unquote. But he's still been solid defensively he exactly. just had like, the goals four per 60 exactly because he's so young like comparables from the draft class hughes a star like whatever he's not jack hughes that's fine and then it's like caco doc turcott cousins zegras this is 2019 draft right yeah like how many of those guys peyton krebs like that's the kind of people new hook caulfield's another one of the chance to be better than boldly but like yeah, like Boldy literally go through that list. Most of those guys. Oh, yeah. Like I take Hughes over Boldy, of course. Yeah. Probably I take Boldy over Kako, though. Yeah, I take Boldy over literally everyone else. Take Boldy over Doc. Cider. 
Given what we know now, I'd probably take him over Byram just because of the injuries. Yep. Definitely over Turcotte. Yeah, I, I'd take Cider over Boldy, I think. But um, I'd take Boldy over Cousins. That one's close, too. But I, I'd take him over Cousins. Yeah, like slight, lightly prefer kind of thing. Yep. Uh, I'd take him over Broberg for sure. Uh, again, I think you can make an argument either way for Zegris. Yeah. That also Flash tells you. Versus... Yeah, exactly. I feel like Zegris's upside still higher than Boldy's, but the floor for Boldy's seems way bigger, higher at this right? point. Yeah. But yeah, put goals in, you're taking him over. Soderstrom, you're taking him over. Then he was drafted 12th. Um, Spencer Knight, again, that, that's a tough one to compare goalies to forwards, but Cam York, you're definitely taking him over. Caulfield, I'd probably take Caulfield, to be honest, but. Caulfield feels like there's more upside, but that's. Caulfield's like the only. Other forward, there's like, yeah, because when we get into Newhook, Krebs, Hart, Thomas Harley, Lassie Thompson, and like Thomas Harley's a good player as well, but I'm not taking any of them. Vinny, Philly Hanola, yeah. again, good prospect, not taking him. I'm just looking to see if there's anyone who's even made a difference other than the NHL. Kaliev, Kaliev, and Shane Pinto, but again, I'm not taking either of those guys, I don't think, over, well, definitely not over Boldy. Yeah, Hotlander, uh, well, like, yeah, again, Nick so Robinson. like relative to his peers, Boldy's almost best case scenario. Yeah, literally. Like, we just had him, what? If we put Hughes, Cider, let's say one of Zegers or Cousins ahead of him. That's fourth. Yep. Fourth and, and Caulfield, fifth. And Caulfield, so top five and yep. maybe maybe four. Honestly, maybe three, depending on what you think of Caulfield. Yep, you could put him anywhere from, like, three to seven, I think, if you want to add, like, Spencer Knight into that mix as well, right? So. Yeah, yeah. so three to seven among his peer group. Seven by if you get three to seven prospect of his class three years later by seven by seven, you're looking pretty good in basically every draft class within reason. Yep, I absolutely agree. So, yeah, I, I just there's not much. Neg- it's a classic, like with the, these RFA contracts, it's like unless the guy has been so actively bad, it's hard to let get mad at them. Yeah, at for an age 21 year old. Um, I have seen the point brought up like. It's kind of crazy how short-sighted, and I get it. It's very hard. I'm sure, it, like, at 21 years old, it's probably very hard to turn down $49 million. Um, yeah. It is kind of crazy how, how many players are signing in, locking in long-term, knowing that the cap should be skyrocketing in the next couple of years, though. It is kind of, So I'm always of two minds of it. Would you take that deal? You're bold. For- You've generational wealth with a hundred percent certainty. All you have to do is sign your name, but you're probably going to be assuming you don't improve just because of the way the cap's going to work, or say you only improve a little bit on a, a ten million dollar player five five years. That doesn't like. I don't think I would just because the option isn't forty nine or zero. The it's option 49 is forty nine or. 49 or yeah or yeah 49 or a two by or a two-year five mil per deal and then a big contract yeah and even if you lose a leg skiing tomorrow you still have that 10 million dollars and and that's That's and like still insane too right i feel like people way overstate how often that injury happens in hockey yeah pretty and because even if he gets legitimately hurt he tears his mcl tomorrow he's still signing another nhl contract after his bridge deal or whatever you take instead of cashing out right that's the thing it's like this was a thing 20 years ago maybe when like if you had an mcl injury you were done if your game was speed right but like we see guys come back from torn in like football and now granted like football they're not always the same or anything but we've seen guys come back from brutal injuries in hockey and be just as good you know like yeah like Patrice on the punctured lung over a decade ago. Like Boldy's kind of like power forward e, but also he's got like the hands and stuff to go with it. That's pretty anti-fragile. Like mm-hmm. to be based around hands, vision, like kind of smarts, kind of. The all only that. time like, I think I'd be legit concerned as a player is if you had a concussion history. Yeah, yeah, and that's absolutely fair because then you can end your career in a moment notice exactly but yeah like this whole idea of like oh what if he blows his mcl it's like that doesn't happen very often and when it does like steven stamkos broke his leg at the olympics and his captaining teams to the stanley cup eight years later yeah and and i get it a little because 
we we bring this up a lot. Best predictor of future injuries isn't past injuries; it's age, right? Yeah. At 21, you're as well insulated from injuries as you probably ever will be in your entire life. Exactly. This isn't a 30. There's a reason no one ever blames the 30 year old for taking the seven by seven, because he knows that even if the cap keeps going up, his value is very, very likely not going to be anywhere near what it is now in five years. Yeah. But a 21 year old, that's just not true. So, yeah, yeah, it's interesting because like and like it's benefited my favorite team. Tim Stutz already looks like an absolute steal at $8 million. He looks like two years from now, we're going to be looking like, hey, other than Jack Hughes, because that's an overpowered answer, might be the best contract in the league. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm, I've already started to push it. He's getting that Jack Hughes breakout season next year or the year after that, uh, at the very least. Um, yeah. I mean, he's, and, he's one class ahead of Hughes, right? So it'd be the same. He'd yep. be in line for it next year. Yep, exactly. And like everything he's doing this year feels like it's like just even all his numbers kind of line up the same where and he's getting more of like the the role of uh um uh, being like possession guy, but he's already got 40 points in 39 games. Like he's already on pace to hit the 82 point mark. Yeah. Which is crazy. So and but again, like it's if I and it's awesome because I love to see my players be locked in Ottawa for eight more years or whatever, like the good players. Same with um, you know, even like Brady Kachuk, I think people kind of scoffed at 8.2. I'm fine with Brady at 8.2. Batherson at 4.975. Now, obviously, there's other issues ongoing with Hockey Canada still with that. But, like, just from an on-ice perspective, Batherson at under $5 million looked like a steal the second he signed it. Yeah, exactly. That contract's not going to be a bad reason because the the hockey logic wasn't there. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, it, it's one of the – every time one of these deals gets signed, I always see a um, friend of the podcast, Chris, on Twitter, just being like, what do NHL agents do? And I think it's a fair question sometimes. Yeah, because like like you said, I get why, like loss aversion is real too, but I don't know. It seems like, like you said, the really important thing is that if you do get a massive injury after you sign your only $10 million bridge deal, A, you're probably still getting another millions upon millions of dollars, and B – a bridge deal, like we're dealing with so much money, a bridge deal is enough money that if you're, you can exactly. live most of your life off of it, assuming you're not. If you have just an ounce of responsibility, which that is sometimes the problem. Like you have heard of guys blowing through millions of dollars, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, but like if you have an ounce of responsibility, a $21 million contract should be more than enough to live <laughs> off of. Exactly. And even because you lose so much of it to escrow and taxes and all that stuff. A, I always hate the argument that, oh, they lose money for taxes. You don't have to tell normal working class people that you lose money off your paycheck to taxes. That always pisses me off. Exactly. uh, Say it's a $10 million bridge deal. You take $3.8 million home. Worst case scenario, you're a 23-year-old with $3.8 million in the bank and the whole world at your fingertips. Yeah, if there you are can't, a lot worse places to be. Oh yeah, like if you can't find a way to invest that and and make it worth something, or just you know, yeah, like it just you're doing something wrong, man. Five percent interest is what 150k on the three million. Fuck around with 800k or whatever it is because you're in your early 20s uh, and live off interest, assuming you don't want to work again, which you probably do. Like, and you could probably be pretty successful if you're driven enough to get to the NHL or something else too. And the best part is because you worked in the NHL, you're going to have endless media opportunities or front office gigs. If you really want, it's not going to be hard to find another gig in the NHL somewhere. Exactly. Or like you can, how many fourth line players are public speakers somewhere? Oh yeah. Like, like stuff like that or just get way higher at any company than maybe an equally skilled person who didn't play in the NHL ever would because you have one of the coolest experience. Like you were the best in the world at something. Of course, people are going to be willing to take a shot on you that they probably shouldn't on paper. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, I don't, I I just, yeah, I always think that the whole, uh, well, what if they get injured and, and you know, that's it. it. It always just seems a little overrated to me. Like again, and I'm sure there is one, like a couple stories of once in a while of like some guy who, signed a $2 million contract or whatever instead of signing the 
I don't know what, $35 million one that was on the table and, and never played another game or something. I'm sure there is, but it's such a rare story that like, just generally speaking, we can't use that for every application. Now, if the player still wants to take his $49 million and go home, hey, that's $49 million more than I have. So I can't, exactly. I can't judge it. It's just one of those things where it's like, if you're looking at it from a strictly value and how much can I make asset, you're doing that wrong. A hundred percent. And especially now that we're the age that the players would be if that short contract they sign goes wrong. And it's like, I'm not sure I'd be feeling that sorry for myself if I was just ready to start anew with two million bucks in the bank. I think no I would be able to figure something out here. No kidding. Like I get, yeah, I get to go decide what I want to do as a new career. And I have $2 million in the bank instead of just coming out of college, trying to figure out student loans and stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, I think we're, yeah, exactly. Like the average person, the average net worth of people Matt Boldy's age is like probably $0 because of student debt. Might yeah. even be negative. <laughs> yeah. So um, that, that's all, that does not take the turn I was expecting it to take, but I like it. Um, that's, that's all I have on the signing, though. I, I do think, you know, for the team, very good bet. Um, again, Boldy gets $49 million. Can't complain with that. Um, I feel like his value could get higher than that, but also, you know, maybe he just likes it in um, Minnesota as well and just wants to play there. So, you know, because that is the thing, too. There is something about being team friendly and and taking a bit of a discount to help your, your team win and everything like that. But, um, yeah. Well, and the nice thing for uh, for Boldy, he'll be 29 when this ends then. I know one thing about 29-year-olds up for long-term contracts. <laughs> this will not be Boldy's only shot to get dramatically overpaid by an NHL team. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, um yeah, I, I I don't know much more on that contract specifically. Not pretty good there. Um. Okay. Let's before we go. Uh. Yeah. No. Let's go on to. So I was really hoping. Uh, I saw an article today, and it's by former scout NHL Jason Bukula. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that name right. Um. He writes for or he's writing for Sportsnet. I should say. Uh. I would thought he did a whole article on all seven teams acquiring stuff. Um. It's only one. And it is the Edmonton Oilers. He's starting his series. Um, I wanted to point this out to you because I, I just I, I don't think he is alone in this target of thinking. But I don't understand it when I read through the article. So I'm going to give you some of his trade ideas for the Oilers. And you're going to notice a theme pretty quick. And we don't even need to like dissect necessarily the trade specific. I mean, we can go into a few of these. But what I... You're going to notice a theme, and I want to talk about the theme because I don't understand why, like, what team people are watching to think that this is what I meant to mean. So, a big long outlook on it, um, and there's a lot talking. Like, th- this is a very deep uh, dove article. This is not something where he just looked at one thing and went, "Oh, that's good enough." Like, he highlights every player on the roster, <laughs> the team so far overall, all that stuff. Like. Uh, and then at Clearly the end, well so thought out kind of thing. Yes, it is exactly. Um, here's what his trade targets and costs come down to: Edmonton trades lottery protected 2023 first round pick, Jesse Pujarv 2024 fifth round pick, or unprotected 2024 first round pick with Pujarv and a 2024 fifth round pick. They acquire Joel Edmondson, a 2024 oh sixth round pick. And Canadians retain 500k of Edmonton's con- Edmonton's contract. First of all, imagine the Canadians got first round picks in back to back deadlines for Ben Sherratt and then Joel Edmondson. Imagine they got Jesse Pugliarvi period for Joel Edmondson. So oh that's the first God. one. Yeah. I don't get it with Edmonton. Actually, I do get it. I think it's stupid. It's yes. a better way of putting it. Here's the second one. Edmonton, Edmonton trades 2023 third rounder and a 2025 third rounder for Luke Shen. Oh. And the Canucks retain 425K of Shen's contract. Did I miss something? I, You know why these arguments that piss me off? Is this what? guy is a former NHL skater. He clearly knows more th- things about hockey than like everyone on earth. And yet, if you 
like taught my girlfriend and like gave her like an hour to give her an overview of the sport and how to win hockey games and all that stuff. She would come to the correct conclusion, which this NHL scout has failed to come to, which is that would be insane. Correct. What year is this that Luke Shen is worth two draft picks? That's what I mean. Like the hockey Four games. Thirds. Hockey, it's simple. Hockey games are won by scoring more goals than you allow. When is the last time Luke Shen has helped the team score more goals than he allowed? Uh, I don't know. Not this year, that's for sure. I think he was like all right the one year in Tampa. He wasn't even horrible last year, but he was like replacement level last year. Yeah. And then, yeah, he was good two years ago in Tampa in 400 minutes. So, and then bad in Tampa. Yeah, how old is he? He's got to be like 30 now. Yeah. Bad in Tampa. He wasn't even good when those numbers were reversed, was he? Horrible in Arizona. I'm back to 2016-17. He's had one year where he was good, one year where he was replacement level. And every other year he's been like very negative. Yeah, exactly. And. We got to remember there's there's error of ours. So non-zero chance the year he was quote unquote good is a measure is a fact of statistical noise rather than objective truth. And given that he's been bad so many of the other years, I have a feeling I know where he lies in that uh, error of ours, and it's probably not above the point estimate. Other potential trade targets: Josh Brown. This is a guy who couldn't crack the Ottawa Senators' defense core last year. Jesus. And Justin Braun. Braun has had multiple seasons as one of the worst uh, defensemen actively playing. Yeah, I just... I don't get it. So, conclusion. Here's the, the, the point notes of why he's moving in. And again, like I, this isn't just a shit on the dude. This is a legitimate line of thinking that I know if he's writing it, a ton of people in the NHL are thinking it. This is someone who's very clearly a smart person writing this. Yes. Conclusion. The return of Evander Kane cannot be underestimated. He provides a trade deadline kind of upgrade for the Oilers forward group. That's not wrong. Sure, But you still need more on it. Lynn Costin has become a valuable player for the Oilers. Acquiring Costin is one of the sneaky top trades so far this year. He, too, has potential to further balance out the middle six forward group when Kane returns. What? Well, I'm like... So if you follow the logic that they have internal help up front, which also Clint Gostin's uh, limited sample has been mostly a function of on ice shooting, by the way, which I don't know who he's playing with. If it's the top of the lineup, Oilers guys, maybe that's sustainable, whatever. Um, even if you follow the logic that you have forwards help coming, that doesn't mean you have to require a bad defenseman, correct? So this is the other thing. And then, so... Uh, you can get a good one. Ryan Lambert was on the um, – and also, yeah, if you go and look at uh, Clawston's RAPM numbers, you'll be shocked to know the biggest positive is goals four per 60, and then everything else is around nothing, like just around a, a replacement. Yeah, so then it's a question of, is this guy who can never crack an NHL lineup a legitimately positive uh, driver of on a shooting, or is he getting lucky? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to pick the second one, and you probably should too. Yeah. Um, so this is the other thing. And then it's okay. So I'll, I'll finish off what he – I've elected to target two-way shutdown shot-blocking defenders who also eat up penalty, minutes on the penalty kill. Again, a lot of buzzwords for bad players. Uh, situational upgrades on the back end should provide the Oilers more defensive structure, physical pre- presence, and in-room leadership. A ton more buzzwords. There is no doubt the Oilers can score with any team in the NHL. They're able to roll out some of the best players in the NHL in their power play. Keeping the puck out of their net with an improved emphasis on team defense and penalty kill is imperative in the second half. Well, you know what? Like, if he had picked players that actually prevented goals against, I might even agree. Like, if they could add prime Chris Tanev, is there, like, literally a more valuable player over the past 10 years the Oilers could have, given the diminishing returns on offense? Obviously, there literally are, but like, well, and so if, this is exactly what if Chris Tanev's out there, yeah, but yeah. these guys aren't that. Well, and the other thing is too, like you know, the best offense is to not have the puck in your own end, or the yep. best defense, right? To not have your puck. 
And the biggest reason, so the, uh, the PDO cast did a really good breakdown, and it was Ryan Lambert on as well. And they were talking about how the Oilers are 16th off chances off the rush, despite McDavid having like double any other player in the league, basically. Um, and the big reason they're 16th is because none of their fucking defensemen can move the puck. Yep. That's and this isn't gonna... helping that. No, it's going to make that far. Well, and again, we talked about this. Um, the most important thing, I think, to creating a team that we we may often forget because I don't think current analytics is structured for that is understanding symmetries, uh, who plays well with who. But if your highest value asset is your forwards, like I do think because of how run and gun dry sidle and like David are having a legitimate like God tier defensive defenseman like P. Collimerson or Tana would be insanely valuable. But you know what else would be really helpful when your best players are forwards like that? What? A defenseman who gets them the puck more often. Exactly. <laughs> that like, seems all right to me too. And so it's just like, like say what you want about Chitter and if he's overrated, underrated, whatever, right? He would be such a better fit on this blue line on the left side than any of the guys just named, and you could probably get him for Pugliarvi, a first-round pick, and, like, Broberg or something like Name your prospect, one of your defensive prospects that haven't really worked out at this point. Yeah, 100%. Because, yeah, if you're telling me a guy's going to be 20% softer in front of the net than you would like, but the best player on earth spends 5% more time with the puck, I'm okay with that trade-off because I have Connor McDavid and no one else does. Exactly. So if it helps me leverage my Connor McDavid, my I, my one competitive advantage I have on everyone else, if I can leverage that even more, I'd be cool with that. Yeah, I just – and again, like this is not me trying to shit on the writer specifically. I bring it up because this is a, a very popular topic among – just people in general. That It's just like, you know what I don't even understand even more? Is how we're doing this with Joel Edmondson right after we're watching the, the Florida Panthers be in dangerous danger of handing the Montreal Canadiens like an 8% chance at Connor Bernard because yeah, they traded also, for fucking Ben Sherratt. Joel Edmondson has never been good at any point, right? I think he had one fine-ish year, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. And fine-ish... Yeah, he was good in 2020-2021. Yeah. And because, like, at least I remember when Chris Tanev hadn't been good in three years. He hadn't played more than, like, 20 games. And people were like, yeah, we should trade Nylander for him without question. It was like, yeah, you're an idiot for this. But honestly, in Ontario or wherever out east you live, you probably don't get to watch enough Canucks games to have learned – that Chris Tanev's actually looks washed at the moment. So that's why it's stupid. Not because this was never a smart idea, right? Like those are, are fair enough. Mm -hmm. Joel Edmondson, if you got the best season of Joel Edmondson would not be worth like an eighth of that. No, like it's just, and like, I don't even want, I don't even want to focus on the Edmondson stuff as much because just like, like it's, that style of player. Exactly, right? Like cuz it's just like it's inevitable that he's going to get traded. Just like it was inevitable with the Charot. But like I just don't understand how you can look at the Edmonton Oilers and be like they need that style of player. They've tried building yeah. with that style of player and that's why they fucking suck. Yeah. I it's yeah. just like and if they could get a, a tough defenseman who is legitimately good by all means do it, but yeah, but like Again, there's a reason those are very hard to come by. It's because everyone's looking for them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They don't get traded. Exactly. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I just, I that, that was something I wanted to bring up. Um, because I, I just reading it, I went, wow, I, I cannot believe that. But, um, again, like, it was a good in-depth article. And then, like, I was excited to see the final offer. And then I was like, Pugliarvi and a first for Edmondson. Especially a first. I mentioned... I I I, yeah, I gotta stop. I gotta stop. We need too angry, Chase. Yeah, yeah. Like you want to give up a fifth for that that hard nosed third bearing defenseman? By all means, go for it. But this would just be making the Oilers equivalent of the Nick Foligno trade, literally, and arguably even worse because the Oilers aren't even guaranteed to make the playoffs this year. <laughs> yeah. Like at least the Leafs, you knew that that trade that pick was going to be, and it didn't make it much better. But at least you knew that pick, like a first round pick for Nick Foligno, was going to be in the 
eight, the high teens. Yeah, you knew it started with a two, almost certainly. Yeah, exactly. And if it didn't, it was eighteen or whatever. Like, yeah, yeah, functionally the same. Whereas the Oilers, you might not like what this pick turns into if you trade. If you trade an unprotected twenty twenty four, if this team can't get its head out of its ass this year, why do we have any faith that's going to be any different next year? Just magically better. Yeah, especially because <laughs> they have no one important, really. I mean. Roberg and Bouchard, I guess, but that's pretty small in the grand scheme of things on the correct side of the age curve. Yeah. Like also, you're the Oilers. You're always one McDavid or Dry injury from being a lottery team. Oh, yeah. Like if McDavid goes down for a full year, yeah, talk about like having a freak injury and missing a whole year or whatever. <laughs> if that if McDavid misses two months, they're probably fucked. Oh god, yeah. Yeah, imagine McDavid, imagine they have to play the next two months without McDavid. They are literally probably going to follow like Columbus Blue Jackets level. Oh yeah, especially the way the team's been playing this year. Yeah. Um, anyways, that uh, it's it just the the whole idea of it. I, I just don't understand what people are watching to make to make you think that. And again, there's multiple people who think that. So um, I, I don't know. I ah. I feel bad, but also I doubt. Like I, I want to just see McDavid out now. That, that's just where it's gotten to the point where, and I'm, that's why it was it was awesome watching him dominate in the playoffs last year. But I was almost disappointed because I knew that was going to give them three more years of fucking around. Yeah. Whereas if they would have been one and out last year again, you know, he was pissed the year before that they didn't even make the playoffs. Um. So, I don't know. You know what doesn't make me angry, Chase. It's our friends at BetStamp. Uh, thank you to BetStamp for sponsoring this podcast. <laughs> uh, BetStamp is an app that easily allows you to compare multiple sports books. Uh, the best way to make money while sports gambling is having uh, money across different sports books. BetStamp easily allows you to look at lines and, and get the best line um, for whatever bet you want to make. For example, uh, we are big football fans. This Saturday is the uh, divisional round. If you want to bet on Jacksonville and Kansas City, um, Jacksonville, you can get uh, the best line right now is plus 375. Uh, they're as low as plus 290 in some books. So, uh, again, that's almost like a $10 difference depending on how much you're putting down. Um, it's like just that's a very big gap swing in terms of edge on what you're betting on. Uh, BetStamp easily allows you to look. It also allows you to track your bets for free uh, so you can grade how you've done. And you can also use a uh, commission-free marketplace so you can follow other expert bettors and see exactly what they're placing bets on, as well as how they have done throughout the year. Uh, if you're interested in downloading the app, it is completely free. You can just go to your app store. And uh, we ask that you please use the referral code MNMHockey. Uh, again, that is MNMHockey. That would go a long way in helping us out. And thank you to BetStamp for sponsoring the podcast. All right, on to uh, another piece. So I was listening to a bunch of podcasts today while I was just working away, and um the PDO cast was doing a mailbag this uh, past Friday and an interesting name got brought up that I, uh, I wanted to kind of get your opinion on, um, you know, where you see him fitting, but also because I thought he'd be an interesting spot for almost maybe the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, and that name is Nino Niederreiter. So I have not seen anyone bring that up, but I like that as a least target. So he has, the reason people haven't really brought him up is, a, Nashville, for whatever reason, still thinks they're a playoff team. They're not. I mean, they're technically on the bubble, but they're not good. Um, I think the bigger reason, though, is he has a year left on his contract after this one. And we know how hesitant teams are to take money on the next year. However, the way I think, like, I think Nashville could get because the so basically I forget what the question specifically was on the PDO cast, but basically it was kind of the idea of like why is no one talking? Is he could he be a trade target? You know, what would he fetch? And Jay Fresh and and um Dmitry Filipovich had kind of settled on like he might only get a third because he has money for next year. But if I'm Nashville, I'm saying okay, I'll retain Niederreiter at like 30%. So he now becomes a 3.1 million dollar player next year. To me, that would be worth dabbling or asking at least for a first round pick. Yeah. To get them on a steal next year in a world where everyone's broke. Like, and how many times have we seen Tampa do the thing of like, they find an undervalued player 
and pay two first or whatever for them. And, you know, like, again, we can argue about how smart that is, but like, this is, I would, I would argue that, I mean, I think Niederreiter is an undervalued player, but this isn't even an undervalued player where we have questions if he could step up and do a different role. This is a guy we know is just a good second, you know, middle six player. We've seen him good now on a good team and a bad team. Yeah. So I think he's just good. Like he's been, his numbers have fallen off in Nashville relative to the possession got hurricanes, but still, still, especially if you're getting them cheap as in $2 million cheap or as in cheap because he makes $4 million. He's like, he's very good, very good hockey player. Yeah, exactly. And like, I don't know. I just a name get popped out because everyone keeps talking about who's the top six winger the Leafs are going to go get. He, I think, is more primarily right winger, but he does play left winger as well. I believe he shoots left. If He's I'm left-handed. Um, yeah, yeah. So I know. He's, I think, and to make sure we're not saying we hate like the Joel Edmondson types of players, it's weird that he gets so undervalued because he's like objectively a power forward, from what I understand. Yeah, that's the thing. Like he plays hard. He'll go into the corners or whatever, and then he can also just kind of pot like. 20 goals in a year as well. If you can get that player at even like $3 million, that is insane value. And you get him for two rounds. Absolutely. Like there's your Kerfoot replacement and better next year. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred. Oh, yeah. He's way better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But like, that's what I mean, right? Like he can be that top six piece you need. And then it also gives you the option where if you want to slide him down on the third line, I think you would have no problem just running his own third line as well. Yeah, yeah, best player on a third line. Nino Niederreiter, you're pretty good. Him and like Angval or whatever, probably make mm-hmm. one of the better play driving third lines in the entire league. Yeah, so I don't know. It was just a name that came to mind. I, I think Nashville will probably turn into sellers here. I mean, it's always kind of hard to predict what Nashville is going to do. Um, but I'm just looking up where they are right now. Like, I'm pretty sure they're behind the Avalanche who can't win. Yeah, they're, they're like uh, only a yeah, point behind struggling. Avalanche. Oh yeah, the Avs are really in trouble right now. Like they're getting, they're towing the line of like when do we start ringing a panic bell with them? You know, like we we were kind of already ringing it for the Panthers a couple of weeks ago. It's it's cl- getting close to say not quite, not quite, but it is getting close to the same with the Avs. Yeah, it's time um, to like actually start worrying about them. Yeah, the difference is the Avs. I think still could get he- healthy in the last twenty games of the year and be fine. Whereas like the Panthers are healthy now. It's not like there's much changing but yeah um but yeah the, the predators are we're talking about being worried about the abs the predators are a point behind them with the game more played they are that's five points out of a playoff spot and again how much of this podcast this year have we talked about how bad the flames and oilers have been the flames and oilers are five points out of the predators <laughs> yeah their whole shtick is that they've just been the most disappointing teams in the world yeah so I I think the Predators will be sellers, and that's a name that I think a smart team, especially if they could convince Nashville to retain, but even at $4 million is not bad value. But if you could get them anywhere from 3.4 or under, that would just be great value. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, I don't know. That was just a name that came up that I was like, oh, that would actually be a perfect fit. And then obviously just, you know, how much we listen to the Toronto media talk around as well. And, that seems like I, I feel like too the I don't tell me if you know you think I'm wrong here, but kind of what I've heard too, even just from more mainstream media, I think the narrative is switching to what that Toronto should look for a top forward now instead of another defenseman. It is. I saw LeBron, which probably about as good of a proxy for any, had said Ryan O'Reilly should be their top target. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's as good as a, of a signal as you're gonna get that like overall. Heads are talking about Leafs getting a forward at the very least. Yeah, exactly. And like I've been listening to Overdrive and stuff, and they've been shifting to like, like even I mean I don't know Jeff O'Neill was kind of against a couple even a month ago, but like Noodles is now just full on like yeah no I think they do just need another like difference breaker up front. Um, Bull Holrat's another name that's been brought up uh, for Toronto. That'd be an interesting one because he plays purely center if I'm not mistaken. Who sir? Bo Horvat? Uh, um, yeah. That's a good question if he plays wing, too. I feel I'm like sure he, he just plays center. Yeah, I'm sure he could play wing, but, like, he yeah, could even then... He can't. You could also... So the, and, like, the thing, I, I don't know if the... I don't, like, obviously, I don't think 
it seems unlikely they would go get Horvat specifically because he, especially because he'd be a pure rental probably for Toronto. But um, I think the idea of getting a player like that isn't even the worst, just in terms of like, even if a he is playing your third line center for a little while, that's not a bad thing to have Bo Horvat as your freaking third line center. But b if having a guy like Bo Horvat means you're you get to you don't have to play William Nylander at center or panic and and play Kerfoot as your 2C when one of Matthews or Tavares goes, if one of them go down, either for the rest of the regular season or, God forbid, in the playoffs, like, that's good insurance to have as well, you know? Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, maybe it's a little overkill, but any, I don't know. Any kind of insulation you can get of that role is very good and of being very, very important. Yeah, exactly. Well, then, because that's the thing, too. It's not like he's not playing if he's not in the top six or whatever. It's just he's, you know, playing in a bit lesser of a role than we're used to. But he'd still get power play two minutes, maybe even power play one. I'd probably not, but power play two minutes for sure. Yeah. Oh, easily. Yeah. So um, I don't know. Yeah. I, I do think that it, I just of something that, because like uh, even a month ago, I feel like people were still, I don't know. I think they need a defense. And now it's like, I don't see many people talking about that at all. It's like, oh, no, they need to go get a top six forward. Yeah, they haven't. They had a bad decor in 2017. My God, did that stick! <laughs> it looks like we will finally figured out that that's not their biggest problem, because their GM has actually completely overhauled the decor. Yeah, 100. percent Like it's, um, yeah. And again, I think a lot of what they do might revolve around whether they know if they can use Jake Musson's money or not. Yeah, which I'd be shocked if they can't. But. Yeah, I would too. Just, you know, we haven't really heard anything about them and just the way they were talking and everything. But, um, you know, they'll obviously know better than we would in, in that scenario. Yeah. Um, just trying to think if there is anything else to touch on uh, league-wide. It's... Um, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what the next couple months have. And so I feel like the next two months as we approach the trade deadline are some of the longest in the NHL season. And I know that's probably not a good thing to say as someone who's trying to sell a <laughs> podcast that you should be listening to weekly. Um, but it, true. It, it is true, right? Just from like, and I don't even find like sometimes like the storylines are fine because there's all these trade rumors going on. Um, but I just find like the games feel not meaningless, but less meaningful because you're in like game 50 of 82 where now the shine's worn off the season. You're not, you're, you're past halfway, but you're not at the deadline yet. If that makes sense. I I 100% agree with that, especially because like the whole point of the standings is to make it appear as though this isn't true, but of course it's still true that like pretty much everyone's destiny is decided by a couple weeks from now. Oh yeah. Like, yeah, and even the teams that are technically bubble teams, they're not making a playoff run. Yeah, exactly. It's like, there's only, like, look at the Central. That's a heated playoff race, if you will. Uh, the Avs are the only team that remotely, like, even if all of the Blues, Predators, and Avs go ham and make the playoffs, the only team, there's only one of those teams that scare you. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's so, only one of those teams know. that are close to favored. Timo Meyer's another name that's getting more buzz that could move. He, he's an interesting one. I, I'd be curious to see where he goes. San Jose's in a weird spot because I think they could both flip him for entirely futures, and I wouldn't be surprised. And he could sign an eight-year contract tomorrow, and I would be like, well, yeah, that's I'm not the thing. super like, shocked by this either. Everyone's like they should flip him, but they should have flipped Hurdle last year too. And the Hurdle thing is exactly why I'm saying it. And Hurdle was a lot more obvious of a trade than mm-hmm. Timo Meyer because he's older and less good. Yeah, I can't believe they re-signed Hurdle. That just blows my mind. I yeah. But they know they're rebuilding, so it's like trading. <laughs> well, and Meyer so that's the other thing, too, too, is now their GM is new, right? Like, he yeah. came in this past offseason. So oh, that... right. I thought he was the one who Hurdle. I don't believe so because he just can't. I believe my career got higher this offseason. I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think you're right. 
Um, July 5th, 2020. Yes. Yeah, you are. Because yeah. I remember I got into the Brett Coleman videos and he's how I learned that uh, it's an NFL family. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's why I, I do think that I, we could see him move. He unfortunately feels like a Bruin type trip acquired to me. I don't even know if they'd have the room to make that move. Uh, I've seen multiple people talk about it. the Devils would be, I think, a really cool fit for him. That'd be sweet. Just he'd be awesome. Oh yeah, and like because again, he's young enough where the Devils could acquire, give up the package to acquire him, and then also justify extending him. Yeah, and the Devils have the stuff to get rid of. Yeah, like they are. Yeah, they've got a bunch of great prospects and. I think basically all their picks and stuff like that too. So they'd be one of the teams that have the cap space, have future cap space, and also have the assets to go make the deal happen. Yeah, that would be a really cool one. Mm-hmm. So that'll be definitely something to keep an eye out. Um, but yeah, definitely over the next couple of weeks, I think if there's not a ton to talk about, Chase and I, we still want to do one episode every week. Uh, we've been you know, trying to stick to that every, you know, so far this year, and we're really enjoying it. We hope you guys are too, but uh, we're going to try and get some guests on as well. I know we say that all the time, but I think this is probably the, you know, the the more dog days of the season. Uh, it's probably the perfect time. So if there's anyone you want to hear on the podcast, let us know. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at NHL Sends and Stuff Chase on Twitter at CMHockey66. Uh, you can find all my work at lastwordonhockey.com, uh, including my other podcasts. I posted an episode this week uh, talking about the Send season. They get Joshua Norris back uh, tomorrow, which is exciting. So you can find that wherever you listen to this podcast. Uh, you can also find all of Chase's work at actionnetwork.com as well as on his Twitter where he posts stuff from his stub stack all the time. So uh, be sure you go check all that stuff out. And thank you everyone so much for listening. We will talk to you all next week. <laughs>